I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. Not much to say when you got a guest like this. There's not really much to talk about like we have today. Mondays. Mondays, I try to usually bring bring it as strong as I can only because about two years ago, I've always been a positive guy, but about two years ago, I did a post in the middle of a field here in Miami called the Boys and Girls Club of Kendall. I did a post in the left field area wearing my larger bucket hat to cover me from the sun. And I talked about the importance of Mondays and after, and making Monday the best day of the week. Cause I just felt everybody was always so negative with Monday and Monday and Monday. And I took that approach ever since I took that approach that I just made it firm that Monday was the greatest day of the week. Why for me, for me, for coach HP, why is Monday so important? Cause that's when all the deals are done. Very few deals were going to happen on a Saturday, Sunday, when you're dealing with corporations, when you're dealing with sponsors, when you're dealing with whatever it is, everything would happen on the movement days that people are at their office. For me to speak to people, they'd be at the office, they'd be at school on Monday, so I changed it. And what happened to me was something very interesting. All my biggest dates are Monday. When I first time I visited Rawlings in St. Louis, Monday. New Balance stuff, Monday. Other great stuff that I can't share now that's coming up, Monday. Mondays have been huge for me. So before I get to who's on this Monday, remember, it's trending. It's trending now. Let's keep it trending. Positivity. This podcast is brought to you by Positivity. Positivity, the way we look at outcomes, the way we treat ourselves, when something happens, good or bad, it's easy to be positive when things are going good. How hard is it? How difficult is it to be positive when things aren't going so good? So for this week, remember, anytime you feel down, you feel slow, you feel low, whatever it is, go to your brain, type in promo code CoachHP, promo code CoachHP, instantly positivity is going to shoot right into you. And make the situation way better than it was five seconds ago. You're going to take it, put it in your brain. You're going to give yourself that positivity. And whatever's going wrong, whatever it is, relationship, job-wise, feeling, you lose your hair like I did, whatever it is, you stop and go, all right, what is the positive, though? What is the positive? And that's how we're going to do it this week. So... Again, anything that goes negative, positivity, that's your person, attack positivity. All right, on today's show, the Coach HP show, the one and only, the one and only, he told me no one's had an eight-year run like he, an 18, 18, one eight, not a 18-year run like he's had, 
and he's absolutely right. This dude had the show with his name on it, crushed it, crushed it. First one of his kind for it to be a Latin dude all by himself. Yes, for us Cubans, we love Ricky Ricardo, but it was the I Love Lucy show, not the Ricky Ricardo show. This dude did it all himself out of nowhere. No father. Mom wasn't there. Raised by grandparents. Came out of nowhere. Wasn't respected at the beginning. I wanted to get to the famous Eric Estrada story, but I didn't have time, but I will in the future. Eric Estrada swerved him. Eric Estrada slept on him. And there's a big danger when you do that to people that are extremely, extremely hardworking, extremely talented, because you never know. You never know who you're talking to. In an 18-year run, this guy crushed it with his show. Then he moved to becoming a night host, night host on that show that was around for two years, crushed it, the stand-up comedies, the specials, the sick, sick. I got him right off the end of his last Netflix special. We'll do it for half. Crushed it at his age to be doing that. He's become generational now. Grandparents, parents, and now young kids can feel his vibe, can feel his love. So without further delay, further delay, further delay, today's show we have my brother, Mr. George Lopez. Let's go. What are we going to do about this fucking Cubano from the South down, down in South Florida, putting together the firm with the palm trees behind him. He's a monster. He's controlling the market. Ronison. Perfect. Here we go. Here we go. Dude, every single time I look at you, first thing I do is I check the hairline and I check what facial hair you're rocking. Okay? <laughs> so I'm loving what I see here already. We switched up El Bigote. We went with a little chin stuff there. Mm -hmm. I just did it. Uh, I just did it last night and today. Looks good, dude. It looks good, man. I yeah. I noticed right before the special there was a time that you're rocking the hat a lot, and I was like, dude, is that a new look? Is he gonna do that with the special? What was that hat about? Man, so you know those are Nick Folket hats that D.L. Hughley on this on the comedy Get Down tour early on. You know, he walks in, he's got this hat on. And I'm like, yo, man, what's up with that hat? And he's like, yeah, let me see it. Took it off. I said, oh, my God, this hat is like, it's beautiful. Because when we land tomorrow, you know, I'll take you over there. Man, I wish I had never seen that hat or seen that dude wearing it. You know, I got him all over the house. And, you know, I never, I was dating somebody years and years ago that in, in an argument, she said to me, I don't know why you wear a hat. You look stupid in them. <laughs> And then I didn't wear a hat for like 10 years. And then I was like, but then I wore a hat one time and somebody says, Hey man, you look good. The hat looks good on you. So I, I didn't wear them. I wear them, but that was a look that I was doing in the, on the bus run and in the clubs and in the theaters. And then I wanted to use the hat, but when I got to San Francisco to rehearse, I put the hat on and he's like, hey man, you can't wear the hat because I didn't like, 
I didn't know you were going to put the hat on. So it's not lit for you to have the hat on. So you're just going to have a shadow on your face. So, you know, can you go without it? And I said, yeah, I can go without it. So, but I, my, my intention was to wear it and, and throw another, throw another curveball. But then, you know, and therefore I didn't think about that. <laughs> you just talking to, you know, like you're talking to some dark shadow with no face. You know? Bro, for the next one, for sure, for the next one. Now, t tattoos real quick. I noticed you have, what, only two tattoos here? Is that all you got? I got two other ones, but that, that one, it says darkness. And that was for Charlie Murphy, who passed three years ago, a little more than three years ago. Okay. Who was, Eddie, you know, Eddie Murphy's brother. And to us, I don't know, man, like, you know, I met, I met, I've met a lot of people. And I didn't really know Charlie that well when we started to do the tour, but I met him when I was doing my talk show and he gave me one of his books. And I was just thinking, you know, can it be easy for this dude to be Eddie Murphy's brother and to do comedy? And then when you started to see him, he was like, no tenia pelos en la lengua, man. He was just like, I'm just gonna tell you how it is. And I don't care whether you like it or not. I hope you like it, but if you don't, that's cool too. And that kind of awareness or that, those type of, that type of attitude is very rare in somebody. But also he was that way off stage too. So he was a very difficult dude to get to know and he wouldn't even let you near him. He wouldn't let you touch him. And everybody knew that. So we gave him a space. And then one of my favorite pictures is me and him sitting on a couch with my, with my arm around him and we're taking this picture. It just means so much to know that that guy was so protective of his face and a little bit of like, you know, don't bother me that he would have, we became such good friends that he would allow me to do that. It's just, you had to earn, you had to earn, you had to earn that type of feeling with him. And, and really nobody has anybody earn any feelings with them anymore. You just automatically you're connected to him, but you're really not connected. Dude. I, okay. I have you ranked number three of the all-time Latinos of all time. I have Jose Martin number one, Simon Bolivar number two, oh. and you at number three, bro. <laughs> I okay, like that. I'm gonna tell you why. After the Kobe Bryant thing, I go. What happens to us is we're getting used to seeing people so much that when they pass, all of a sudden. We were like, why didn't I appreciate that person more? Why didn't I call him more? Why didn't I give that person more love, George? And with you, we got used to seeing you be so good. And at least your on-camera persona being so happy that I feel like as an audience and as a Latin audience, we take your talent, your effort, your accomplishments just for granted. Like, ah, George Lopez, he's a funny guy. He's good. He has a TV show. He hosted this, he hosted that, he's all over the place, everybody loves him, but we don't give you the love you deserve. And I put you number three there because you're still so young to have accomplished so much, bro. And the trick is you have so much that you've put into the game, but you look so freaking good, bro, that we think you're like 35. So how do you feel about that, man? Because I just, first thing I want to tell you is 
you're so high with so many people. And I know, look, when you meet people in public, it's, hey, George, pictures, this, that. And, and in the bullshit of that, you, you forget how special you are, man. Do you think about that, dude? Like, bro, me, that guy have accomplished a lot of shit, bro. Or are you just like, oh, it, it was what it was, man. How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, you, you know, there's people that have, there's people that have tough, tough beginnings. You know, there's people that have, but when you, when you come from a tough place and you start to tell people <clears throat> about your, your place where you came from, then automatically they'll tell you where they came from. And then you're almost like debating on who had it worse, which, which is natural to do. But, you know, coach, I, I started to look at people as individuals and not as groups because, you know, as Latinos, we're looked at as one unit and we're not. I don't think, you know, first of all, nobody wants to invest the time in our culture to know that there's a, a thousand different things about every Latino. There's music, there's language, there's food, there's behavior, there's uh, uh, cultural, all the music, completely different. So to even try to connect to one thing, it's almost like a galaxy, like where every culture is like a galaxy. And then there's Mars and Jupiter and Saturn, and there's just all these different things that everybody's trying to make you one thing, but, but we're not. So in being somebody that was always afraid and always left alone or just left growing up, um, it almost, almost became a singular type of person because I had a tough time connecting to people. So it's funny, like my therapist said, you, you picked the two things that you, three things that you really love to do that you can do alone. I try, I've been trying to play the guitar since I was 15 and I play every day, but it's not about being good. It's just, I just love it. I just, I love how it feels. I love, I've always loved music. I do it all the time. I did already today. And then, you know, um, Golf, you can do by yourself, and stand-up, you can do by yourself. So, you know, Coach, that's a good question, man, because I've been doing this since I was in high school. And for me, this is all I've done through the good and the bad. You know, all I wanted to do was this. And it doesn't have a face. It doesn't show you love. It can never tell you how much... It, it appreciates you. It's just, they're just vapors. Like you just, your own talent is your own talent. And in sports, I saw that a guy would be your favorite player. He'd either get traded and then he'll, he would retire. Or when he got older, he didn't play as much and they had the farewell and he was gone, you know? So you start to see things as compartments, like, you know, Fernando Valenzuela came and changed Los Angeles and had press conferences before he pitched. Should, do I think he should be in the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame? Absolutely. I saw Roberto Clemente play at Dodger Stadium in the late, in the late uh, 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 60s. And it wasn't that I was proud of him because he was a Latino. I was proud of him because he was amazing. He was an amazing baseball player. And I never looked at anybody as what, they, what their skin looked like. I, I looked at them for their talent. So in 
being humble, and I'm not sure where the humility came from, but I, I understand my place. I understand what I've done. I, I rest like like I rest a lot. I you know I've been I had a kidney transplant 15 years ago. I don't really take the best care of myself, but I know when I'm slipping. And you know my blood pressure is good. Weight fluctuates a lot of medicine and stuff. So, uh, but do I? Do I realize those things? I don't think you can until maybe you can step away from it. I mean, even this pandemic a little bit, I think it's unfortunately so many people have died and you see that it gives people a, a bit of a chance to kind of take stock in their lives and see who's around and see where things have gone. And like my wish would be for myself or anybody is to never, let yourself be your own deterrent of things that like like stand-up scared me and but I wasn't deterred and a lot of times people especially us we need either somebody to go with us or somebody to motivate us and I'm telling people they're watching that's the absolute worst thing you can do because if you need somebody else to help you fulfill what you want to do that person's not always going to be there then you won't go and you'll stop going and then 10 years will go by and you'll see somebody who passes in front of you. That's what I wanted to do. And then 10 years like that, and you really haven't done what you really wanted to do. So a lot of the times for Latinos is that you're waiting for something to happen. So I always didn't want to, I didn't even know what I would become, but it's like when you've got a big fish, you're just working them and you're pulling them and you're letting them run. I think from 2002, when I got that hook, I don't think anybody's had a better 18 years than, than me. And I'm a forward thinker. You know, one time we were playing golf and this dude turns back, the guy I know, and he says to me, you know why you, you, you've accomplished all the things you, you, I said, why is that? He said, because you forward think. I want to do this. I want to do that. And you go get it. So I forward think I didn't know. I think a lot of times Latinos, we do, but then that's half of it. But then go get it, you know, go get it. You know, that time over there at Rawlings in New York where it took that beating, oh my God, listen, I haven't taken a beating like that in the club, horrific. But it was part of the night and you take, you take your beating and you, and you go. Again, the dude have the money back because there's no guarantee, there's no shame, but also it's like trying to, to float a boat with no water. There was nothing in there to connect to. So, I mean, and I understand that, you know, people do very different and the comedies, you know, you have two sides and, <clears throat> but it was almost like you would watch boxing and a dude got embarrassed, maybe got knocked out, but to go in there in the first place is what's honorable and the outcome isn't predetermined. So I didn't know, but then I took it and, I, and on the way out, I was like, okay, I just, this is it. Like, you, you took a beating, you got knocked down, and you, you take your head as a man, and you go. And you, you know, I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> Bro, I had no idea. I had no idea you took a beating because I, I didn't even know you were there. I was backstage interviewing everybody, and then all of a sudden, you just walk out. And then, luckily, I just come with, because I'm the kind of guy that if I got something negative to say about somebody, I'm not going to say anything, man. Unless you're my boy. Then I'm going to pull you aside and say, oh, yeah, George, mira, mi hermano. 
esa gorra, por favor, oye, let's, because I, because I got love, if I felt that way, I'm not going to boo you, I'm not, whatever, even if I don't agree with it, even if you start destroying Cubans on stage, I'm going to stay quiet, but these people just want to get their voice out, man, I feel like people are voices, and if they could attack a powerful person like you, they're just going to take the shot at it, and he has no feelings, whatever, he could deal with it. Yeah, but you know, it's understandable, so you know, it's, it's, the beauty of it is to, is to take it, acknowledge it, and then move on. I mean, yeah. you're not gonna, you know, Muhammad Ali lost, Ali lost, uh, you know, everybody that puts any skin in the game is gonna lose, and it's how you, it's how you react. That's why you never take the, the, the big, the good times any different than you take those times, and I think staying balanced is, is, is probably the best way. So you take the good and you take the bad, and then you, you, you know, you go on. 1,000%, dude. You and my dad have one thing in common. My dad was also born April 23rd, okay? Mm -hmm. Same day. Part of me, George, wishes I never would have met my dad. My dad prepared me for everything in life except to deal with him. He would beat the shit out of me when I would strike out in baseball, like really, really, really bad. You have the opposite. You never met the dude. How has that been a plus for you? being that you never had that father figure because I don't think your grandfather was in the mix that much. How was that for you? Dude, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a crazy question, man. So, so, I, I always felt different than all the guys that I grew up with. Not better. I wasn't, we weren't richer. We weren't poor. I just felt, I just felt myself different. I just felt different. It was so brutal growing up that my father, I never met my father. My mother was illiterate, she had some mental illness, tried to commit suicide, sorry, and you're like eight, she was epileptic. I mean, just so many bad, so many bad things. And, and when you, like, like your father, you know, when you struck out, he would hit you. Those things all, they all destroy a little bit of your innocence. They destroy a little bit of your, you know, like Bruce Lee said, your water, you try to stay water. There's just somebody putting little bad drops in the water. The water becomes discolored and then maybe the water has to be thrown out. You have to make sure like you never, they never break your spirit and they never, you know, break your soul. And those things are incredibly difficult to go through. I saw my friends get yelled at, but also for me, nobody saw it because I was an only child that, on Father's Day, every family was together. On Mother's Day, every family was together. On At baseball, sometimes the coaches were the dads. And then I would always be the kid that needed a ride or I would end up walking by myself. So it was very, very tough uh, growing up to not have a father. There wasn't even, even anybody that I would consider a father figure. Uh, so I had so many things wrong with me emotionally and it's funny, like yesterday we were talking and somebody asked me, if you could change one thing about when you were growing up, what would it be? And I said, I wouldn't have had sex as a, at 16 because it destroyed me for the future relationships because I wasn't prepared for what that is. I wasn't prepared for the connection. I was too needy. I was not, I didn't understand relationships or emotions and it just, it just put me in a tough, tough place. So when I started to do stand-up and you're singular and you're going on and on, nobody's paying attention to you. 
nobody really cares. But you have to care in those dark times because you'll come out of the light if you stay true and you stay doing it. You know, I, I've, I've had a career of 41 years. There's been some dark ass times. And then there's been some times where the unimaginable happened. You know, being on TV and being on the Walk of Fame and having a thing and then doing for the president and all these things, that, but all the specials. And this special means more to me than the other ones because I'm 59 and, and you read some of the comments, they go, man, fucking George still has it, man. It still has it. That's my childhood. That's my family. That's my uncle. That's where my grandmother talked. That's where my mom was. That's where my deal was. And to, to be a narrator of their lives, but also as you've gone along, you uncovered your own life a little bit. Um, it's been a, it's, it's been a, it's been the most, it's been, it's been the most incredible thing that, that this poor little kid that nobody looked at that gave me shoes one time that let me borrow a glove and, and that that kid became this man, not perfect, but he became, he became like, he would, you, 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 you became just a dude that could stand up straight and not be embarrassed or not be ashamed of, you know, of turning your back or somebody seeing you walking home and you turn your back to the car so they don't see you. Like, you, you're, you're able to stand up and hold your head high uh, and, and, and be proud of, of everything that you've done, the good and the bad. George, it's crazy you say that, man, because for me, it was the reverse, man. Everybody saw my dad beat the shit out of me. Everybody, including my mom. And she didn't do a single thing. And I always thought to myself, I go, one day, I'm going to get out of this. And I'm going to help people. I'm going to talk to people and say, listen, because it started that way. It's not about the start. It's about the finish. And I love that you said that, man, because I wanted to get into, I think a big escape for you in the beginning, as I analyzed your life, man, was sports. How important was the Dodgers and like Willie Davis for you, man? What did that mean to you? What did you see in that that you were like, man, I want a piece of that? Well, you know, in 1967, we were already starting to play Little League. And on a Friday, we were playing in the street, well, in Mission Hills, and it's a cul-de-sac, and we used to use this like dirt lot as the outfield and the freeway was the wall, you know, as we play in there. And I see my grandfather's car coming up the street. I can still see it. It's coming up. And I'm like, why would they be coming up here? Like, what did I do? You know? So he comes around the corner, guys get out of the way. Grandmother rolls the window down. She's, she's in the passenger seat. He goes, she goes, get in I get in. It's a Friday. I'm not sure where we're going. I go, where are we going? We're on the five freeway. We're going South. I George, she would talk to you in Spanish or in English? But I don't know. And was also maybe. Hello. Okay. So, so I started to see the signs for Dodger, for Stadium Way. And nunca ha visto un estadio de donde juegan baseball profesional. So we come over the Elysian Parkway and you look. Y es una cosa como the most beautiful thing you see. Ahí abajo, como está un hoyito ahí. So here's this beautiful, los asientos arriba, the blue, the naranja ahí, and you see the Dodger thing, and you see 
the people walking in todos los carros ahí, and we get out and we're like, I'm like, we're, we're going to see the Dodgers. I said, oh my God. So, de ese año de 67, de todo mi vida ha ido a Dodgers Stadium. Es como la segunda casa. It's my second home. And that was the only thing that we did as a family is mirar baseball en la casa, en los sábados, en los fines de semana, los Dodgers también. The only thing we went to as a family was professional baseball. Nice, so, man. They meant they were, they were como ídolos, pero como, como like gods. You know? Right, right. In television, estaban chiquitos. You know, it's not like the television, it's como ahorita, 100 inch. Eran más chiquitos. The uniforms were different on the road. They are Los Angeles porque están ahí en Nueva York. Están right, 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 right. And, and home, it says Dodgers. And on the road, and you think, man, they go play over there. They come back. Here's Pete Rose, Tony Perez, uh, uh, Concepcion, Roberto Clemente, uh, Manny Sangui. And my grandmother liked the way he always smiled. And oh, man. So they become like the only thing that you can talk about and get a connection. And hablando de the los Dodgers. Vince Scully, he was there, I don't know how long, pero tenemos también Jaime Jarín, que ya tiene como casi, about 60 years anunciando los Dodgers. Yeah. Más que Vince Scully, pero latino, mexicano. And he, he no agarra atención en Los Ángeles, él no agarra atención Vince Scully también, porque Vince Scully es un, un ídolo, pero también... Right, 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 of course, of course. You know, y como baseball conecté y no me ha quitado esa conexión. Like, Dude, you can talk English if you want, George. You can talk English. I still have it in my heart. I, I have the things here, the baseballs. I have, when you go on the field, all of that means so much to me. It's like having como los wings when you when you swim, the little kids swim. The yeah. Day. I know that when I have baseball in my heart, and it's something that I really love, that no matter where I go, even if you're alone, es como tienes familia. You know, you turn it on and you see baseball. You see, you're seeing family. That's it. Dude, people in, unless you go to Dodger games, you really, and even LA sporting events, you really see the amount of support that the Mexican community has for the Dodgers, for the Lakers, for whatever they can afford to get into, man. That is probably, remember I lived in LA for six years. That is probably the biggest fan base and they're not represented that well. They, I think they're almost taken for granted, you know, and obviously when a fight breaks out, it's usually uh, a, a Spanish, you know, it's that kind of thing. But you guys, man, you guys have those franchises where they're at. They're amazing. Like, you know, they had different players that would come up like the farm system, like the new guys were always really good. You know, the Davy Lopes and then you come up and you got you know, Fernando, they got him from Mexico, Mike Rio saw him and brought him. And now you have, you know, Kershaw and all the, you know, uh, Seeger and the young guys. And it's just, you know, the fact that we haven't won a championship in 32 years is surprising. But, you know, my grandfather died the day before opening day in 1988. And, he, and the Dodgers were awful that spring of training. And he said, they're going to win the championship. I'm like, you're crazy, man. How do you know the champ? They lost almost every game in spring training. But he was like that. Okay. And he died that day before opening day. Wow. And then that year they won. And when they won, I was by myself in some condo in Houston working. And I cried for about an hour. I couldn't believe it. Like, like just the, 
seeing it on TV and seeing them jump around and knowing that they won and hearing my grandfather saying they're going to win without baseball. I don't have that connection to him. And without baseball, it doesn't give me one of the most incredible, just spontaneous, this emotion for and love for him and for the team and for the city that, that, that championship gave me. I totally agree. Oh yeah. They're telling me you only have time for one more question, dude. I got a ton here, but we'll, we'll yeah, save that for, again, yeah, I'll throw, yeah, yeah, for the second one. Let me, I was going to ask you about Jorge Masvidal. Who do you got? Jorge Masvidal for the fight? Yeah, I love it. Dude, before I had you, I was, uh, I was with Paulino Hernandez, his strike guy. And we were going to do a video and anything. And he just left. I, he was on the show before you. And Jesus Gallo, they left to, to Dubai. Let me see. Let me get a good last question for you here, brother. Hold on. It's going to be a good fight. Yeah, hell yeah. Last question, man. Uh, George, any, any question for me, dude? I know everybody always asks yourself, any question for me, man? Any, anything I can help you with? Any advice? I can yeah, you know, with your family being like that and the way that you grew up, how did, how did you get past that? How did you let it go? And how did you, did you maintain a relationship with your mother? Because that'd be difficult too. How did, you, how did you eventually end up getting past that and being able to either have a relationship or go, go forward and have your own relationships. Here you go, brother. My, my dad was married to my mom for 30 years. Didn't cheat, didn't gamble, did anything. In Spanish, we call it un genio. El tipo tenía un genio de carajo. Youngest of 15 kids had this ego thing. He didn't shine how he did. I think he was an alcoholic because he drank all the time. A couple of beers, get home from work. He worked for Pepsi Cola, stocking Pepsi for 30 years. Okay, blue collar guy. He vicariously lived through me with baseball. I used to sit there and you know how you had no attention? I had all the attention. My dad was the manager. My mom would videotape me. My sister had to score keep me. So I had all this attention on me that I didn't want. And as I looked at this, I go, okay, something in my head says this is happening for a reason. I took every single beating. I took every single stuff. I had identity issues growing up because I knew I had this little bit of greatness in me. Like one day this is going to shine. I don't know when. So I kept it inside, kept it in, kept it inside. Funny that you say relationships with people, with women and with everything. I'm built, I think, for what I'm doing now because I have zero emotions about anything. I don't expect nothing from anybody. I inside myself know that one day I'm going to be sitting with you and nobody's going to go, Hey, you have one minute left to go to coach, talk to this guy for five hours, but it's not there yet. So I'm patient enough to understand my place that right now I'm a replacement player. One day I might get the big contract and I'll be the big star. Right? So I got zero ego. I've never drank before a taste of alcohol unless I kiss a chick when she was drinking or my wife. Now I never done any drugs. I, I don't, Nothing against anybody that has. I haven't done any of that stuff. I've always said, when you grow up without a TV and your dad's beating the shit out of you almost every other day and nobody does anything, you escape in your mind. So, George, what I did was, I, as a man, when I finally gave my dad's respect, I had to, I moved to Los Angeles. I lived in a car for six months. What, ironically, what helped me out a lot was a little show called The George Lopez Show that I used to see and dude, I guess goosebumps, man. I would watch that show and almost get like, I felt like I was somewhere and I would go back and I would sleep in the Hollywood Hills. 
And I would shower and shave at the Equinox right there on Sunset Plaza. And I go, one day, there was no smartphone, so I couldn't escape to YouTube or anything like that. And I go, one day, all this is going to come together. It's taken me 41 years. When you started in 1979, your comedy is when I was born. So it's taken me 41 years to get to this point. And I'm just starting. So that's how I look at it. The Cuban guilt, just like the Hispanic guilt, is on everybody. We can control our lives. These people have lived their life already. They do good things to me. They do bad things to me. I'm not going to let anybody affect my thing, dude. So that's how I view that, man. So be, when I leave, be, while I leave, I want to tell you, I know you do the George Lopez Foundation. Yes. Okay. I'm going to volunteer myself. I speak all over the country. I speak to kids everywhere. Ne next event, whenever this Corona thing goes out, you reach out to me. I'm going to fly wherever you're at. I'm going to speak for free. I got you. We're going to talk with kids about life. We're going to do all this. Stuff. I speak to all programs, all teams. Everything. Okay, so there's that. Uh, I'm going to send you, I'm going to send you a contact. We're a big sponsor of ours. is a big, awesome, Jorge Masvidal swears by Wagyu Beef. We're going to get you going. I know you like your steaks. Yeah. I'm going to get your info. The way I'm going to Wagyu Beef, that you're going to die for a little care package. So, yeah. you could, so you could enjoy that, dude. And then lastly, man, anybody that you know, that you think deserves some positivity, Send them my way. We'll put them on the show and we'll, and we'll give them some love because brother, you're, I'm a nobody. The fact you gave me some time today, this is going to pay dividends 10 years from now, five years from now, because I'm either going to make it or die trying George. And a lot of the stuff that I followed is stuff that I learned from you, my brother. Thank you coach. I mean, you're great at it, man. I mean, this has just been great. So whenever you need me, we'll do it again. We'll talk about different things and yeah, I'd love to sit down with you and not have to say, you know, one more question. Dale, brother. Oh, hey, thank you so much for taking the time, man. So really appreciate you. El Machingon, we're going to, you're crushing it on social. I love what you're doing on Instagram. A lot of old, a lot of people are like, no, I'm old. I don't want, I love that you're on it. Stay on it, brother. We have to coach. That's okay. It. Take it easy. Bye. Yeah. Boom, I left the end in there, a little outro real quick. Thank you guys so much. That end to me is special. I, I even raised the volume on it where he says, beautiful. There's nothing like when somebody like that who's a legend gives you a cosign that you did good, man. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for all the love. Thank George for his time. Subscribe. See you soon. Love you guys. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.